Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to What's a Crime, I'm Linda, and today we're going to be talking about Tylee Ryan and the day she went missing on September 8th, 2019. I did do a readout of Chad Daybell's arrest affidavit in a live stream the other day, and you can see that link in the description below, and I'll also put that at the end of this video. So I'll be talking about the timeline, the affidavit, and we're going to do a little deep dive and more on Alex Cox in this video. But first, if you'd like to be part of the It's a Crime community, please click that subscribe button below, click that notification bell, make sure that you click it to all so that you can be notified. There's a lot of people that aren't getting notifications. Give it a like if you support this video and also please share this out where you can. Now, let's get into it. Tylee Ryan was last seen on September 8th, 2019 at Yellowstone Park. The FBI put out pictures of her and notified the public that she was last seen with JJ, Alex Cox, and Lori Vallow. In the affidavit, it says, As mentioned, the last verifiable sighting of Tylee Ryan was in Yellowstone National Park on September 8, 2019. Photographs established she was there with her mother Lori Vallow, her brother JJ Vallow, and her uncle Alex Cox. They drove there in Alex's silver Ford F-150. This trip was further established by tracking the GPS, cell tower connections, and Google account information on Alex Cox's phone. And this one picture has always gotten to me. The look on Tylee's face, how unhappy she is, angry even, something, she's just definitely not happy, and it's always bothered me, and when you look at this now, this was her last day. And she had only been living in Rexburg about a week at this point. A place where she didn't even want to move to. She told her friends she didn't want to move to Idaho, but she was worried about JJ. According to the affidavit, it says, Lori Vallow moved to Rexburg on or about September 1st, 2019 with her children, Tylee Ryan and JJ Vallow and her brother, Alex Cox. Lori resided with her children at 565 Pioneer Road, Unit 175, Rexburg, Idaho. Alex Cox resided in the same complex, initially living in the same unit as Lori, and then moving into his own unit at 565 Pioneer Road, Unit 107, Rexburg, Idaho. Now, according to Melanie Gibb, Lori Vallow called Tylee a zombie in the spring of 2019. And in the affidavit, it says Melanie Gibb was on the phone with Lori and heard Lori call Tylee a zombie, to which Tylee responded, not me, mom. This arose out of Lori requiring Tylee to babysit JJ and Tylee did not want to. 
Lori Vallow also told Melanie that Tylee had turned into a zombie when she was 12 or 13, which was approximately the same time Tylee had become difficult to deal with. Yeah, Lori, it's called being a teenager. I also want to note that not only was Tylee called a zombie in the spring of 2019, but it was even before that. Back in October 2018, she was rated dark by Chad's family chart. You can see here that Tylee Ryan was rated 4.1 dark. Now, Melanie Gibb also told authorities, and it was in the affidavit, that it was Chad and Lori's mission to rid the world of zombies. And also in the affidavit, it goes on to say, Melanie further reports that the term zombie refers to an individual whose mortal spirit has left their body and that their body is now the host of another spirit. The new spirit in a zombie is always considered a dark spirit. While the dark spirit inhabits the host body, the person's true spirit goes into limbo and is stuck there until the host body is physically killed. As such, death of the physical body is seen as the mechanism by which the body's original spirit can be released from limbo. This belief was told to Melanie by Lori Vallow. Lori Vallow had learned it from Chad Daybell and immediately told Melanie. Melanie was present with Lori Vallow when Chad Daybell first taught Lori this information over the phone in early 2019 in reference to Charles Vallow. Now going back to Tylee's picture again. You can see JJ in the picture. You can see a picture of Alex. And I'm guessing that Lori took this picture. And my question is, is she taking this picture as a memory to keep? Or is she taking this picture as proof that Tylee is indeed a zombie? Saying, see, look how she's acting. So on September 8th, they take this trip to Yellowstone Park. And in the affidavit, it says they are using Alex's cell phone to pinpoint locations. It says, the cellular analysis survey team here and after cast is an FBI unit that provides analysis of cell phone records and presents the information to law enforcement. CAST has analyzed Alex Cox's phone and provided the location information mentioned in paragraph 13. The CAST analysis provides the location of Cox's phone. Due to my training and experience and common knowledge, I am aware that most individuals now keep their cell phones with them at all times, and the location of an individual's phone can be used to establish the location of the owner of the phone. CAST uses a cellular device's GPS data points, cell tower connections, Wi-Fi connections, and Google tracking information to establish the location of a cell phone. The GPS data points used by CAST are considered to be highly accurate and can place the device within a six meter radius. So it says then Alex exited the park at 6.40 p.m. and since Lori and Tylee and JJ were with them, we'll assume all of them left at the same time. Then they go to Buckaroo Bill's Barbecue Grill in West Yellowstone from 6.45 p.m. to 7.02 p.m. It was a quick 15 minutes, so it sounds like they went in to pick up takeout. Now, he then drives back to Rexburg and goes to Lori's apartment. It's a one-hour, 25-minute drive, and in the affidavit it says he's in Rexburg by 8.37 p.m., which is about the same timing. 
He stays at Lori's place for just over an hour until 9.43 p.m. and then heads to the Maverick on Main Street in Rexburg, which is a convenience store about five minutes away. He stays there for 10 minutes and then here is where the gap of time is in the affidavit. It doesn't state in the affidavit where Alex's phone was from 9.53 p.m. until 10.44 p.m., almost a full hour later, unless he's just driving around, because at 10.44 p.m., he is back at Lori's apartment until 11.15 p.m. I do wonder what he bought at the Maverick, and what was he doing for those previous 50 minutes? Then again, in the affidavit, there's another gap because it says that he's at Lori's apartment until 11.15 p.m. and then places him at his apartment at 11.44 p.m., which is a half an hour later. Now, Alex lives in the same complex and it's literally a two-minute walk from Lori's place to Alex's place. And Alex stayed in his apartment from 11.44 p.m. And according to the affidavit, he was located in his apartment at midnight and also at 12.45 a.m. Then it says at 2.42 a.m. until 3.37, Alex is back at Lori's apartment in the middle of the night. And back to the affidavit, it says on Monday, September 9th from 12 a.m. and 12.44 a.m., Cox's phone was located at his apartment 107. However, at 2.42 a.m. to 3.37 a.m., Cox is located again at Lori's apartment 175, where Lori lived with Tylee and JJ. This is significant, not only because he is there in the middle of the night, but also because this is the only time in September he appears to go over to Lori's between midnight and 6 a.m. Then there's another hour gap because it then says, at 4.37 a.m., Alex went back to his own apartment, unit 107, until 8.59 a.m. So in the affidavit, it doesn't account for the time, like I mentioned, from 3.37 a.m. until 4.37 a.m., unless it just didn't ping for that. I don't know enough about that. If you guys know, you can let me know in the comments below. So at this point, I'm wondering if the neighbor's doorbell cam across the way is capturing something on camera, um, Alex going back and forth, is he with Ty Lee, what's going on? Because remember, the neighbor actually had footage across the way of JJ running outside and picking up, uh, actually JJ and also Tylee and JJ in a separate time, he was putting stuffed animals in a puddle. So Alex went back to his apartment until 8.59 a.m. Then he takes a drive to Chad's house and arrives there at 9.21 a.m. According to my map, it's about 11 minute drive or a 15 minute drive depending on the route taken. So according to the GPS data point reading at 9.21 a.m., it places him behind the home on Chad's property near the east end of the barn, which is where the fire pit is. It says in the affidavit that at 9.21, he was located at a property with the address 202 North 1900 E Rexburg, which is the residence of Chad Daybell. It should be noted that while Chad Daybell's address is listed as Rexburg, it is actually located in Fremont County, Idaho. The 921 reading is a GPS data point and places him behind the home on Chad Daybell's property near the east end of the barn. And you can see the house to the left, the barn in the middle, and just to the right of that is where the fire pit is. Here's also a view from the south road looking in at the barn. 
Now there was a questionable ping in the affidavit at one point and it says, Alex Cox's phone was still at the Daybell's residence at 9.39 a.m. At 10.47, his phone shows a hit at the city of St. Anthony. At this time, we are unable to tell if he was actually inside the city limits of St. Anthony. St. Anthony's about a five-minute drive from the Daybell residence. Or if this was a cell tower ping on his phone while he was still at the Daybell residence. At 10.57 a.m. to 11.39, Cox is located at the Daybell property. When I look at the map... It's 10 minutes to St. Anthony. In the affidavit, it talks about it being five minutes to the city limits of St. Anthony. And at 10.57 a.m., it pings back on Chad's property until 11.39 a.m. So if we exclude St. Anthony, he would have been on Chad's property for two hours and 20 minutes in total. If we do include St. Anthony, the last ping at Chad's was at 10.39 and placed him back at Chad's at 10.57, so almost a 20-minute gap. But I googled Chad's address again and this popped up. Notice the bottom left where it says St. Anthony as the location. Then it appears that Alex has worked up an appetite as we all lost ours. Shortly after 11.39 a.m., he heads to Del Taco in Rexburg. He arrives there at 11.52 and stays there until 12.02 p.m. And then in the affidavit it says he appears to spend most of the rest of the day in his apartment. But as Alex drives to Del Taco, Chad now has some free time and messages his then-wife Tammy at 11.53 a.m. He says, well, I've had an interesting morning. I felt I should burn all the limb debris by the fire pit before it got too soaked by the coming storms. While I did so, I spotted a big raccoon along the fence. I hurried and got my gun and he was still walking along. I got close enough that one shot did the trick. He is now in our pet cemetery, fun times. And in the affidavit, it states, I found the text suspicious because raccoons are normally nocturnal animals and are not regularly out during the day. It should be noted that from interviewing neighbors of Chad Daybell, we are aware that in mid-July 2019, Garth Daybell, Chad's son, told their neighbors that Chad had shot a raccoon out of the tree on their property during the day. Those neighbors are named Matt and Regan Price. Garth told Matt Price about the raccoon in response to a question from Matt about hearing a gunshot. The prices inform me that the fire pit in the back of the Daybell property was hardly ever used until the last few months. Regan informed me that there appeared to be frequent bonfires in the pit on the Daybell property over the last few months, and the first one she noticed was soon after Tammy's death on October 19th, 2019. And in Chad's text, I find it a very interesting choice of words, wouldn't you say? He says, I felt I should burn all of the limb debris by the fire pit. Now, one could say he was talking about the tree limbs because back in the affidavit it says in July that Chad shot a raccoon out of the tree. But from the info that's coming up next, I'm thinking something very different. And in that same statement, it seems as though, in my opinion, He's making the excuse as to why he's having a fire out there. He says he wanted to burn it before it got too soaked by the coming storms. And it does also make me ask, was Tylee shot? And where was she actually killed? 
Let me know your thoughts about the statement in the comment below. It's also important to note that this day is September 9th, which is a Monday, and it always seems to be a Monday in these horrific crimes for some reason. Gannon Stouk, Monday. Faye Swetlick, Monday. The Delphi Girls, Abby and Libby, Monday. Tylee, Monday. JJ, Monday. And on this Monday, Tammy most likely would have been working at the school as a librarian, hence the text back and forth with Chad and Tammy, and also, it's a Monday. So Chad's first text message was at 11.53 a.m., and three minutes later, he texts Tammy again and says, gonna shower now and then go write for a while at BYU. Love you. And by now, we know that Going to write for a while at BYU probably means that he's going to meet Lori to walk the track and hold hands and be disgusting. Or anything involving Lori, in my opinion. Chad has all day and Lori has all day, so guess who's around each other, in my opinion. And he's going to go shower now at noon after working super hard in the yard all morning. And yet, with his background as a gravedigger, probably doesn't take him too long for him to accomplish what he needs to accomplish. Now, Tammy does not respond until three hours later at 2.47 p.m. and she says, good for you, exclamation mark. Chad responds a minute later and says, I'm back home now. Now, on the day that Tylee and JJ were found on June 9th, they had a pretty good indication of where to look, right? We all kind of questioned just how fast it was and precise. And in the affidavit, it says, On June 2nd, 2020, Detective Bruce Mattingly of the Fremont County Sheriff's Office contacted Samantha Williams, who is a sister of Tammy Daybell. He asked her if she was aware of a pet cemetery on Chad and Tammy Daybell's property in Idaho. She informed him that she was aware of the pet cemetery and stated that both she and Tammy were pet people and that they had both had pet cemeteries. When asked the location of the pet cemetery on the Daybell property, she stated that it was east of the Red Barn and near the fire pit. On June 4th, 2020, I spoke with Samantha and she informed me that she was aware of the location of the pet cemetery on the Daybell's property because Tammy had shown it to her. Samantha was then shown an aerial photograph of the Daybell property and she pointed to the same area near the fire pit where Alex Cox's phone pinged on September 9th, 2019. The above facts establish that Alex Cox appeared to be at the Daybell property on September 9th, 2019 until at least 11.39 a.m. Chad sent the text to Tammy about burning debris and shooting and burying the raccoon in the pet cemetery only 14 minutes later at 11.53. The pet cemetery referenced by Chad Daybell is located at the same location as most of the pings on Alex Cox's phone on September 9th, 2019. On June 3rd, 2020, I asked Special Agent Ricky Wright of the FBI to analyze the frequency of Alex Cox's visit to Chad Daybell's property during the month of September 2019. His response was, Per your request, I checked the visits by Alex to Chad's house again. There were only four visits by Alex during the month of September. These were on September 6th from 12.41 to 12.53 p.m., on September 9th, September 23rd, and September 25th, 
from 10.05 a.m. to 10.22 a.m. During the two visits on September 6th and September 25th, all the pings were in and around the house, and there were no pings anywhere in the backyard near the fire pit or pond. As you can see, these visits were also short, about 11 minutes and 17 minutes, like the one on September 23rd for 17 minutes. The visit on September 9th was the only long visit, approximately two and a half hours. So according to this affidavit, Alex was at Chad's house two days before on Friday, September 6th from 12.41 p.m. until 12.53 p.m., a total of 12 minutes. He was there on the 9th, which we just outlined, and he was there on the 23rd and the 25th, which I will cover the 23rd and the 25th in my next video. The only visit that was for a longer duration was for Tylee on September 9th for two and a half hours. And I do wonder what October looked like with these pings and with these two, Alex and Chad. And if Alex's phone pinged at Chad's the day that Tammy Daybell was shot at, which was October 9th. Now back to the affidavit. It says that Cheryl Anderson is an associate professor of anthropology and Boise State University and was there on the site and also talks about the site where Tylee was found. It says, a second site of interest was located behind a red unattached outbuilding located roughly in the center of the property near a fire pit. Next to the fire pit is an area and used as a pet cemetery. This site correlated to several GPS pings of Alex Cox's phone on September 9, 2019. Ground in this area was probed with a steel pole and several areas of disturbed ground were located. During a search of this ground, a buried cat and dog remains were found. No mention of a raccoon. A backhoe was used to dig further layers of dirt. While doing this, bricks were located approximately a foot below the ground. Once the bricks were discovered, the soil was examined and what appeared to be two bones were located. Based on the condition of the bones, Cheryl Anderson was not able to determine whether the bones were human. Methodically, the dirt in this area was searched and several other items of interest were found, including other bones, charred tissue, and charred bones. Cheryl Anderson indicated that these additional bones, both charred and uncharred, and tissue found were human remains. Investigators provided photos of some of the partial remains that were found at the Pet cemetery to Sarah Getz, PhD, a forensic anthropologist. Dr. Getz was able to identify those remains as being non-adult human remains. So a backhoe was used to dig further layers of the dirt. A foot below the ground were bricks. Then there were bones, charred tissue, and charred bones. And were human remains. And were identified as non-adult human remains, aka Tylee. And Chad texts about limbs, about a fire, about shooting a raccoon, yet no mention of a raccoon in the affidavit of the bones found. He obviously would have to say something and explain himself in that text because of the obvious. And, well, because how can you cover up flesh burning if he did have that bonfire that day, which he mentioned having a fire. So now we know good old Uncle Alec's movements and how busy of a morning Chad had. The question is, where was Lori? 
she was with Alex and the kids at Yellowstone Park and back at the house the night of the 8th. Alex comes over to Lori's house in the middle of the night and then what does Alex do with Tylee and Lori? We're all asking, how did she die? And now I'm asking, what was on that neighbor's camera? JJ would have had to go to school that Monday morning, making Lori quite available, right? So what was she up to? And at 9 a.m., Alex heads over to Chad's house. Chad mentioned going to BYU, Idaho to write. Did he go there? Why isn't there any mention of Chad's pings on his phone in this affidavit or Lori's for this matter? Perhaps they're saving it for something more important. I don't know. But that is a big, huge question I'm asking. This is Chad's affidavit, but we're hearing a lot about Alex's pings. Nothing on Chad, nothing on Lori. And I'm also wondering what kind of conversations was had by Lori and Alex that night and the day before. And, well, really two days before when Alex was at Chad's property. Were they scoping out a spot? This was Tylee's last day on this earth. We saw that picture of how miserable she looked on that day. That was her last day. She was rated dark by her own mother and a zombie. And Alex, Lori, and Chad all believed in zombies and their mission was to rid the world of zombies. And it was even said that Alex 100% believed in zombies. So Tylee was rated dark and a zombie and Tylee was going to be turning 17 in the next two weeks. She never made it. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And her last meal was at Buckaroo Bills. What happened to her that night? Where was Chad's cell phone pinging? Where was Lori's cell phone pinging? What did she do with Alex at her apartment? Tylee died at the hands of the people she knew and loved. And not only was she killed, but she was killed in an egregious manner. P.S. Not guilty, hey Chad Daybell? Just wait, because I'm going to be uncovering a whole lot more. How convenient, too, on your property, right, Chad? After all, you have those grave digging skills. Decades of it. Now that I'm starting to dig into this, maybe there were more victims of Chad than we know. And if he's capable of this, then he's certainly capable of killing his own wife, Tammy Daybell. And Alex is a zombie killer. This would be his second kill at this point that we know of if he's the one who killed Tylee. Maybe there were more. First Charles, he was a zombie, then Tylee, zombie, and then JJ, zombie. Maybe they should have checked his pings on Joseph Ryan. As for Lori, she never once looked for her kids. Why? Because she knew exactly where they were. She was even overheard saying, Tylee died years ago. Lie after lie. Or as I like to say, lie, lie, manipulate, lie. Yet, 
she still made sure to collect the checks after her kids were gone. And she was collecting $6,000 a month. Let's just go one step further. She pretended to be Tylee while she texted Colby and Tylee's friends that loved her. Then we see her at court with a ridiculous smirk on her face. Why? Because she never thought she'd get caught. And she felt so powerful like a god that she took away the kids from the people who sat in that courtroom staring at her. All I can say is I can't wait for the day that smirk goes right off your face. Now I do also want to mention because it's in the back of my mind. I'd like to know where Melanie Boudreau, AKA Melanie Pulowski was on this weekend. Just to set my mind at ease because Melanie did mention that she went down for a weekend. And I wanna know which weekend was it. We also have found out that Melanie P was in Hawaii with Lori in October. But I'm wondering if it was September that she was down there. After all, Melanie Gibb was down there the weekend that JJ was killed. Was Melanie Pulowski down in Rexburg the weekend that Tylee did? I am going to be doing a video on the day JJ went missing and killed. Let's have a chit chat below. If anything, put purple and blue hearts down for Tylee and JJ. Please subscribe if you haven't done so already. Like if you support this video and share this out where you can. Thank you so much for watching. See you soon. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.